looking at the run sheet, I would yeah. like to throw in a section talking about my experience as a fan going yeah. into the game. It's a chock full podcast for sure. Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Now go shop at Soccer90.com for all your FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. They got it all. New jerseys, tees, and more continue to arrive throughout this month. And because you are the very special and precious Third Degree listener, you get 25% off your order when you use the code ThirdDegree at checkout at Soccer90.com. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, for everybody new here, I'm Peter, and with me are my two good friends who I love to talk all things Dallas soccer with. First, Dan Crook. Hi, Dan. Hi. For everybody new here, you really came at the wrong time. (laughs) That's a really good point. This is a really crummy time to... Hop on the bandwagon. And uh, editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. I, I, too, would like to welcome all the precious listeners that are still with us. Hold on. I have a list of all five of them. Uh, John, Mary, Steve, and Timmy are still hanging around. Yeah. Yeah. If uh, metrics continue to trend as they do when Dallas isn't playing well, we'll be lucky if there's like seven people listening to this episode. <laughs> well, it's more than that, but uh, for sure, our numbers are tied to their numbers. When they stink, our numbers drop through the floor, and when they're good, our numbers go up. So I, I always wanted to be good, but uh, imagine, so, imagine what the numbers would be if they actually like started to be competitive and made it to like an MLS Cup oh. final or something. Could you imagine? Yeah. Oh, right, silver linings. They didn't play for two weeks, and the numbers kind of dropped in those two weeks. It's, it's going to rebound. It's Just trust like, the process. Bounce back, yeah. All right, Dan, that's actually a good way to start this because I had a plan of how I'd like to attack this. Uh, I'm going to suggest that you let me just kind of get out of the way all of the negative and bad stuff, and then you two can follow up and finish out the pod just filling everybody with all the positivity and convincing us why this isn't as bad as it actually is, and they'll end up being the mid-team table we all said they would be at the beginning of the season. You good with that? Oh, cool. A 20-minute podcast. Nice. Yeah, you can try, but I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let me just uh, throw out with this. Since we last spoke on a previous episode, the good guys in red have played two Major League Soccer games, neither of which ended up in a result that either any of us would like. First, on Saturday night at home against Minnesota, against a, an admirably good crowd, by the way, a 1-1 draw, and then last night out on the road once again, laugh. Two FC Dallas zero. Let me throw out some stats for you. Dallas remains beaten on the road, zero and four. Lucci's uh, road record, by the way, uh, is five wins, six draws, and now twenty losses in his tenure as manager of this club. Uh, in those two last games combined, the team totaled four shots on goal and a XG combined between the two games of 
And by the way, this came against two teams that are below the playoff line. And per the great original Burn fan, Dustin, they now are only a mere point off the historic worst ever season in Dallas club history uh, from 2003, the South Lake debacle. So Buzz, hmm. come on. Everybody's counting on you. Yeah. Tell us why this isn't as bad a dumpster fire as it appears both from a distance and up close. Well, I'm afraid I can't do that uh, because this is a full-on, complete dumpster fire, and it's only going to get worse. Uh, Dan probably heard the burn I did earlier this week for the patrons about the schedule. Um, and while everybody in MLS plays the same schedule, and certainly everybody in the West plays the same schedule, Dallas's schedule was front-loaded and back-loaded with home games. So you just talked about Lucy's road record. This thing is about to get brutal for FC Dallas. So, uh, you know, I, when I look just to sum it up really quickly, effectively, you're looking at getting to late September with about two wins total and they have one now, you know, and I was being generous when I went through it. So it's bad and it's going to stay bad and it's not going to get any better. Now, if you want one positive, the only positive I have for you is that you remember before the break, there was that two game stretch where they found a way to create a significant amount more opportunities than they had in any other game. They had back-to-back games, 28 shots and 20 shots. They needed to be more efficient in those two games, but those two games had a silver lining we were looking for. Well, that's gone. So unless Lucci can find a way to get back to that, the last two games, 15 shots and 13, and you, you had even lower shots on goal top totals and so as opposed to just shots. This team is a mess, front and back. Lucci's not helping it, making it worse. So... Uh, and it's not all on him. Well, I think later we should talk about whose fault all this is. Um, maybe it's a different podcast, but it's not all on Lucci. But uh, it definitely is a dumpster fire of epic proportions at this point. Okay. Uh, Dan, several episodes ago, uh, we caught everybody's ear with a rather heated exchange between myself and the two of you when I was trying to figure out what exactly this team was any good at. And I was still never convinced by your uh, case that you guys made, but... Uh, it's it seems even worse now than it did then. At least I think you tried to make a compelling case that the team was at least decent in midfield. Uh, but I think we can all agree we're not going to argue over the fact that they're not even good at that anymore. Did did they have a midfield yesterday? <laughs> Fair point, my friend. I, I mean, I actually asked uh, Jimmy Maurer in the press conference last night, like, you know. You're you're in goal. You got the best view in the house. Your centre backs disappeared. Your centre midfielders disappeared. What on earth happened in that central channel? And he was just like, you know what? I, I don't know. <laughs> Guys have to try harder. Buzz, uh, you said that you don't think this is all Lucci's fault, but considering the seemingly never-ending amount of formation changes, tactical changes, not just over the course of the season, but within an individual game, um, and some of the odd substitution decisions, uh, I I know you're saying not all of this is Lucci's fault, but man, a whole bunch of it oh, sure yeah. feels like it's it's really laying in, in his feet. Yeah, he's he's not helping himself at all. Um, you know, when you're not a good team, which this team clearly isn't, you have to find a thing you're good at, something you're good at, some way that you can play that is functional. And I suppose that the reason he's trying all these different things is because he's searching for that, but but he hasn't found it. I mean, I thought three weeks ago before the break that he had found it. There was this back-to-back games where they did 
the right thing. And even in the Minnesota game, when he had this, for some reason, after back-to-back good games, he changed the formation and used Ricarte as an off striker. And that was instantly a disaster. He recognized what had happened and he changed it. And so the second half looked like that those previous two games. And this, that game, they had three shots in the first half and then 12 in the second half. So he recognized the issue and he went back to it. But then he proceeded to go out to L.A. and play three at the back and change it again and mess it up again. So, you know, definitely isn't all Lucci's fault. But at this point, Lucci's in his own head. And whether he's listening to too many different people and not confident enough in what was working or for some reason he can't figure out how to take advantage of what was working, the silver linings that were there literally a month ago have vanished. Now, if he can get some of those silver linings back, Maybe they can climb up to the the table a little bit, but there's not anywhere near enough stuff left in this team. And this is where some of the other uh, blame comes from to make like this radical swing and all of a sudden be one of the best teams. That's not going to happen. You're going to maybe make this team a tiny bit better, but you're not going to revolutionize it over light night and compete. Let's uh, let's go back and kind of talk about the games individually, uh, and I'll talk more about uh, my experience uh, on Saturday because uh, it was the first time I had attended a game as a fan in a very, very long time, so I've got a bunch of observations and questions and thoughts uh, about the experience overall. But, you know, the formation was weird. I thought his decision to, to start the game with Obreon and Pax, uh, Paxton on – opposite sides of their normal positions, the decision to start Ryan on the right. Uh, they immediately threw the new guy on the field. I know he'd been there for a couple of weeks, but to start that guy right off the bat, uh, you know, especially when you've got Nikosi having to play, all of these things just, to me, seem obvious um, coaching decision issues and I just wonder, is there not anybody in the organization, one of his assistant coaches, whether it be Lucene or uh, Drew or somebody that just sits down and goes, yo, Lucci, really take a holistic look at what you're doing here. You're doing too much. And there is a much cleaner way of putting this team on the field because it just seems so obvious to me and clearly a lot of other people. No, he doesn't have that guy. And you remember, Peter, we talked about this when they hired Lucci, that they, he needed a guy over his shoulder, a veteran. Like I, I used the name John Ellinger at the time. And they chose not to retain Marco Ferruzzi in that capacity. And they went all, all with guys that have no experience on his staff. Nobody on his staff other than Drew Keyshawn has experience. And Drew's experience is always a goalkeeper coach. It wasn't in the role that he needed somebody. And mm-hmm. clearly it's been affected by that the whole time. And in particular in that game, like every single one of those changes he did, I can point to what it was that he thought, oh, I have a problem I have to solve. Like he's vanilla ice. So what's the okay? Let's do that real quick. What's the why would you put Obreon and Paxton in opposite of their natural positions to start the game? Because he flipped his outside backs. He wanted to have Obreon and Paxton play tighter, almost like false. Because Paxton is basically a false wing. He wanted Obreon to come into that center channel with Pepe. And he wants him to kind of get next to Pepe on those channels and then open the right side for Ryan because Ryan is a very vertical guy and has not previously been great on the right. However, that was his best game on the right he's had. It's not as good as on the left, but that was his best game he's had on the right. And Johnny Nelson tried to get better forward better on the left than he ever has before. Now, it wasn't great. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that it worked. I'm just saying 
that's the thinking and the thought process that led to that decision. Just as I can, he can point it. Uh, the reason he flipped his out defensive players is outside backs is because Eddie Munjoma has not been playing good enough defense. Eddie's not directly responsible for any of the defensive problems that they've had, but because he's not as good a defender, he's not back there. He's not anticipating. He's not helping out. He's not preventing a couple of goals that he could have helped prevent. So they want to change that and that they don't have any other option than to put Ryan over there. Hmm. So everything they did, Lucci thinks I have a reason to do it and I'm going to, it's going to fix a problem. But then it doesn't, I agree with you. It's like, that's what I meant about. You have to just realize what you're really good at and stick with that thing. If, if something is working, build on that thing. Don't try and fix like eight other things and become the best team in the league. Just stick with that thing and go with that thing and build with that thing. In this case, it was that altered 4-3-3 with the double eight look that was creating all these chances, right? Mm. So, you know, you could have you could have changed the front line like I suggested he should. I remember when we talked about benching Hara, benching Vargas, which happened because he was out of town anyway. You know, and because those guys had failed to capitalize on the opportunities, well, he did that and then he changed a bunch of other stuff. Well, that was contrary to the idea. The idea was give somebody else those opportunities and see what happens. And so then that was a blown up concept and the whole first half was brutally horrible. So then he had to change it. And then in the second half, you saw it kind of working. But so, Dan, do you think that uh, maybe another issue was the idea of throwing in a guy that was brand new to the team on the same day you were having to, uh, be, due to injury and, and absences, throw on a rookie center back at the same time, having to play essentially in front and behind each other with uh, Quinone and Nicosi? Yeah, I was gu- I was going to say when Buzz said that was Ryan's best game at right back, I was going to throw a massive asterisk on it. He was great going forward, but... Yeah, sorry, offensively, he yeah. was awful. Like, he kept, you know, he's trying to cover inside for Nikosi, who honestly didn't really need that much cover. So's Jose. You've got Facundo uh, Quignon not doing a whole lot in the first half. He did warm up in the game and, you know, eventually made that fantastic tackle, which was way too risky anyway. But he also uh, was the. the he, legs. But he also turned the ball over. And got yeah. it stolen from him from uh, um, uh, oh Jakari Hayes of yeah. all people uh, oh, for the God, goal yeah, for the goal yeah yeah, yeah uh, I mean and it's one thing if you're going to have Nikosi in, in the back you know Nikosi is the type of player who tries to make those searching passes where okay if he gives it away it's not in great danger but if you've got a brand new six who's not necessarily dropping into the right spots and covering that ground you've got a massive gap in the midfield you could have put testman in there you could have put dropped a costa back and you could have really solved that issue and not overcomplicated things not overtaxed ryan and and jose and and forced nicosi into some some dangerous spots yeah the whole thing was a very weird i i was frankly surprised that they started the new guy as quickly as they did and gave him all that time and and, uh, you know, uh, we can talk about this more after we go through the L.A. game. I'm still not 100% sure I understand. I-, I can tell what he's good or not good at because he looks so overwhelmed with the mess that he has uh, walked himself into is I can't give you an on- honest opinion if uh, uh, Quinone is a good, average, or terrible soccer player. I have no idea. I think here's the part that gets me about it, um, just kind of going back. So remember last year, uh, you know, Tiago Santos starts – and Lucci went with a double pivot, specifically because he said, you know, he, he kind of needs to learn the positions. He needs to learn the defensive style of this team. Didn't do that with Kenya, and he got better immediately for it. Yeah. 
Interesting. Uh, and then in the L.A. game last night, Lucci, good Lord, makes so many changes, including his weird uh, obsession with playing three, okay, five in the back on the road because he's so scared of his own shadow, which included the unbelievable decision to put Nikosi Burgess and Justin Che next to each other. I am completely toasted. My brain is melted over that decision. Yeah, listen, no, I did this in my instant reaction today. No one can convince me. I don't care what anyone with the team says. No one's going to convince me that wasn't a Bayern Munich shop window game. That, yeah, that they didn't that they that somebody whether it's Lucci or whether somebody above him said our chances of winning in LA are zero anyway. You might as well let's put the kid out there. Minjoma hasn't been great, right? Let's put him out there. The the problem is is that Justin Chase's best position is a center back. He's an okay right back. He's not a very good attacker. He's an okay attacker. He's not a good attacker. Like in the wing back position, it's a position that requires very little defense, so little defense that you can put like Obreon or um, any kind of attack. Paxson has played there. You can put Sean there, right? So you're taking a guy who's a center back, and the reason he plays center back is because he's not a great attacker, and, and you put it, you put him out of wing back. It makes no sense at all. It's like that's not an answer. That's like I have a problem. I need a wing back. Oh, I know, seventeen year old Justin Che, who's a center back. No, that's terrible. So that there's no way that's a that's actual solution decision. That's a hundred percent in my mind. We want to sell this guy to Bayern Munich, and we're going to toss this game for it. I did find it funny uh, in a in a press last night. I asked Justin. You know, he seemed to definitely get a little more comfortable when they switched to the back fours. Like, you know, you asked him, you know, how he felt during playing as a wing back, supposed to fullback, and he just said, "I mean, I'm not either. I'm a centre back." So right. <laughs> He knows. Listen, I, I think Does the it, world of Justin Che. I'm super high on this kid. He played really well towards the end. Yeah, he's but, a good player. Uh, yeah, there was that was a like you say that was a shop window. Move. The the problem is here is that you have the last place team. Your coach is dying on the vine. He's desperate for something, and you play a 17 year old kid out of position. No, no way, right? That's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, even that seems extremely out of character for Lucci, who's famous for making really weird roster decisions. Conservative. Yeah, sure, but I, he's a defensively conservative guy. He doesn't play kids in the back. Look how long it took him to play Reynolds, and Reynolds is a dream wing back. Justin Shea's not. So, like, this is it's out of character for Lucci. It's out of character for the situation. It's out of character for the, how bad the team is. It's like, there's no way that Lucci made that decision on his own. There's no way he wasn't told to play him. In my mind, am, am I wrong in thinking that Nikosi has spent time playing as a fullback or wingback out on the right at some point in his career, or has he, he also only college. been a center back? He's played outside in college, but not as a wingback though; it's just an outside back, and he's done he's, it in training too. And he's fast as hell. I mean, he would. Yes. Well, I guess my point is, is if you're going to go to the extreme of playing Justin on the field, it may have been smarter to let him play center, the third center back and put Nicosia yeah. at wing back. Well, the thing is, you'll get more money selling Che as, uh, as a wing back than you would as a center back. <laughs> have we become that jaded, Dan? Are we really I, that j- jaded over this honest, whole thing right? at this point? This is wow. the discussion we've had a few weeks ago. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is it is pretty crazy. So, uh, again, I, I don't understand the fundamental concept of taking a critical midfield component out of the game so that you can put a third center back, and in this case, a rookie, on the field. And I don't understand Lucci's obsession with this road formation because, it one, it has completely failed every time they've used it, to the best of my memory. And two, as soon as he makes a switch late in the game because he thinks he's got a, a maybe an opportunity to, to you know grab a goal and a, and a tie, as soon as they go to four in the back or two center backs, they actually look decent again. Yeah, this is another thing that Lucci's doing that's, I, I think it's backfiring on him. I think it comes from last year when he tried to play the way they had played it at home on the road and they got wrecked like back-to-back games by significant score lines. And then, so then he tried like this low block five thing and it actually kept the game close and he was almost able to steal the game at the end. Uh, Didn't they win one in Kansas City off of that formation? Yeah, they might have too. The funny thing is that the, I, I'll share it online uh, here at, at, when this podcast goes live. There's a There's a... YouTube channel that's name is escaping right now that does these animated videos about tactics and stuff in Europe and whatever. And one of the ones they had up this week is about why teams, this is about in the Euro specifically, why teams play three at the back. And it talks a whole bunch about how this is what you do when you think you have less talent <laughs> than the other teams. So clearly that's what happens. He's it, Lucci's a believer in these high end tactics, right? He thinks he's, you know, he wants to be pep or whatever, so he's trying to compensate on the road against better teams with this tactic, except that it's not working. This goes back to the idea I said of you got to when you're this bad, you got to figure out what it is you're really good at and go with that because that's your only chance to be to win. And you know, he, every week it's something different right now, and that's going to make it worse. That's going to kill you. Yeah the 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 you know the interesting thing about whatever formation they play. My biggest concern is is that watching the team play in person on Saturday night, especially in that first half, um, and then what we watched last night, well past my bedtime, by the way, I'm still pissed about that, mm. um, is, is the level of confidence ac- across the board. Like, there's not one player on this team that appears to be playing with any any high level of confidence. And I have been, and I was, and when I saw it in person, specifically in the first half of the Minnesota game, the number of unforced errors and turnovers and panic clearing felt so much like, uh, like, like MLS 1.0 that even when this team wasn't playing well over the course of the last few seasons, even with Oscar, at least they played with a little bit of a panache and passed the ball about. Now I don't even think they're capable of doing that on the regular. Well, I, I don't know if Dan will agree with this or not, but I, I think, again, that comes back to the idea of um, them trying try to do too, too many different things. I often have people uh, that are observers of soccer, you know, whether they're other media people or whether they're TV people or they're coaches, say to me that like that all the, and the national guys write this, that the Dallas guys don't look like they really have like a system or a method, particularly on the offensive end. And part of that, I think, is because of the fact that Lucci keeps changing the thing on them this time. You know, when Oscar was here, Oscar had a one way he played, and that's the way he played all the time. It right. was like there was never like once in one game out of 
15, he might try something else. But it was almost always like, well, that didn't work. And, and, we, also u- and we also used to get really frustrated that Oscar wouldn't change up the 11 yeah. that continued <laughs> to not play well. Yeah, he would never change anything. So, but, right. you know, that's, a, I mean, maybe there's somewhere in between. But, you know, it's, if, if you're having trouble getting your confidence going and things aren't working, like changing it all the time, that's going to make it worse. So, I mean, listen, is- I'm spending a lot of time here backing on Lucci, and it's not all on him, but he's definitely not helping himself. The problem as well is, you know, you talk to Lucci about the shape and, you know, switching between a back three and a, and a back four. And he'll tell you all the, you know, it's not it's not shape. It's just different roles. Players have to have different roles, whether it's a six dropping back between the center backs or it's a third center back. And, and who goes forward, who stays, who goes, where the wing, you know, where the fullbacks set, whether they're wing or, or full. But the players, you talk to them, and that stuff matters. You know, Ryan Hollinshead does not like playing left back and right back in the same game. And a few weeks ago, he had to play left back. He started at left back, went to right back, and then went back to left back. That sort of stuff screws him up. Yeah, Ryan's talked about how he doesn't like wing back. He likes outside back better. And that's a difference of like 10 yards. But to him, it makes a big difference. So like those yeah. little things, well, like Lucci's right about fluid tactics and roles. He's right about that stuff. But he's also wrong that base formations matter because comfort matters. And like you have to be able to do it without thinking about it. So if it changes all the time, now I have to think about it. And that's a split second hesitation. And in pro level, that matters, man. The problem is that, I mean, tactical fluidity is, is amazing when you've got the players. Like Kevin De Bruyne, absolutely. Ryan Holland said, maybe not so much. Yeah. And that's not a shot at Ryan. That's just saying, you know, the, the elite players can you know, are that versatile. Not every player is. Well, let's make an analogy. How many U.S. players are there that can do Bearhalter's right back center holding mid bit? There's one, right? You, you know, just because you think I want to play a certain way doesn't mean you have the players for it. And in Major League Soccer, you don't have the players to play like Liverpool and Man City. Yeah. Well, let me let me let me point something out that I think is the most troubling aspect, which is we're we're talking a lot about tactical formations and the difference between how this team looks when it plays with three center backs or two center backs. But what I what I find most alarming can be found in the heat maps of these two last games because we see both of these formations being used. But what is the one consistency is that if you look at the overall team maps from the Minnesota game where they played with two center backs and the L.A. game where they played with three, the amount of time spent in the opposing penalty area is literally zero. Like there is no color in the heat map from uh, who scored for Dallas in either one of those games uh, that is representative of any real time spent in the opposing box. And what I'm really confused by is that when we got into the heated argument about what this team may actually be good at, you made the case that they were playing, that Acosta and Ricarte were actually doing a, a pretty a commendable job at chance creation, but that has dried up like the Southwest uh, lakes. It is There's just nothing going on, and I don't understand. And I, Well, I do understand, but Buzz, I'd like to ask you to explain to everybody what's changed. Well, this is what we talked about a little earlier when we talked about the games before the international break, how good they were doing at that chance creation, which is when they had that at, at the time they were using a what what Lucci called it a four one four one. 
it's the same 4-3-3. They're just sliding people around a little bit. But Tessman's playing, in those games, Tessman was playing as a single six, right? And it was a double eight with Acosta and Mercarte. Acosta at that time was playing MVP ball. And Mercarte, for the first part of the season, and, and certainly in those couple of games, I thought in that role, when Acosta was next to him, he had less defensive attention Mercarte did, and he was more free and able to create chances. That's when he had that game with the eight um, scoring chances, although four of them were for, for corners. Even if you just have four, that's a remarkable game. So there was a two-game window there where they looked great, except that no one up front could score for a damn. Now, that all went away. The first reason it went away was in the first the Minnesota game. Because uh, Faco was here, the new guy. Uh, I love that version of his name, by the way, Faco. Uh, like he's the guy from Necessary Roughness or what movie is that? Is that uh, an official pronunciation or Buzz's yeah. pronunciation? No, Faco. I, 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 matter of fact, I went to the pronunciation page and listened, and he says the Facundo Quignon, he says that. And he says, or Faco. Great. <laughs> okay. I'm on Faco. Faco. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Faco. I, was, I listened to it like 10 times to make sure I had it right. So be, Lucci put this, listed that game as a 4-4-1-1. Well, that means he dropped Acosta sort of in next to that guy rather than putting him in as the same, just replacing Tessman, right? So why are you changing something that wasn't a problem? Just swap Tessman for this, for Faco, and then you're fine. So he changed it, and that left Ricarte on an, as, as a false strike, not a false striker, a withdrawn striker underneath Jesus. No, it wasn't Jesus. It was Pepe. Sorry. It was Pepe. It was Pepe. And since Ricarte got here, we've talked about how he's a deep playmaker, why in the world would you play him as a off striker? Because he immediately just drops back into midfield where he wants to be and left Pepe on an island by himself, which is worthless. And now you've got, because he dropped deeper, well, Acosta thinks he's supposed to be back there behind him. So Acosta dropped deeper, and all of a sudden you've got nothing in the midfield. So it's like, just because you changed all those things, you now have wrecked everything that was working. And so then the next game three in LA, they go 3-5-2, sort of tried to fix that idea. He left Obreon on with Pepe as a, two strikers. Okay. He put Jesus in the hole as the 10, which by the way, was the change he made in the second half of the Minnesota game that made it better was he put Freya in as that off striker, which actually works. And then he had Acosta and uh, Faco behind. Well, again, you've now you've taken out Ricarte, so now you only have one guy in there, Acosta. And again, he thinks he's supposed to be covering for Faco. So again, it's not working. So all those things that I just talked about for 10 minutes stopped and broke the one thing that was working. So it's no wonder that they were a mess for two games with all that. All right. Sorry. No, I, that's, an, <laughs> that's an excellent explanation. Uh, and, and I think will help a lot of people understand what has changed because it's certainly... Yeah. You know, for as badly as the results were going early in the season, you know, again, there were little hints and glimpses that maybe there's something in there. But these last the, the last five yeah. days uh, really feel like especially coming off a break. Uh, it's very disappointing to see the team come out uh, playing this this poorly. My biggest concern, I'm, I'm Dan, I'm interested in your perspective of this. One of my big worries about this is the impact that it has because again, this is a team filled with young up and coming uh, players is the impact it's having on a Paxton Pomacall or even more. So I'm really worried about Ricardo Pepe 
because you know we've done a lot of work here. Buzz is you know built around a, a, an entire brand around the hype train of, uh, of Pepe, <laughs> um, and I got to tell you, I, I I don't I haven't seen it, and I'm not 100 percent sure it's his fault. Um, you know the team looks better when Hara's out there, and we've done nothing but dogpile on Hara all year. Uh, and and uh, is that an overreaction in any way, Dan? Or do you do you sense maybe there is a, uh, some knock on effects for these young guys? I mean, I was I was actually getting ready to whisper Thomas Roberts's name, but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, the greatest. I mean, if the, if the team can't play with confidence, how do you expect the young guys to? I mean, does Paxton look even anywhere close to his normal self in the limited minutes he's gotten in the last two games? He was he was pretty poor um, against Minnesota, which is crazy because people were complaining that he went off. Um, no, I mean it's no, he hasn't hasn't really looked himself. But we also knew he wasn't gonna look himself for uh, for a good while, uh, other than in spurts. I don't know. It's, so let me ask Dan because you probably went. To- yeah, Dan, you went to the press conference after the Minnesota game just to reset the table. Paxton started Minnesota, played 45 minutes, and he and Ricarte were subbed out after 45 minutes, which I thought was weird. And I was worried because I had seen Paxton make a cross-field sprint, and when he was done with the sprint, he turned around and he kind of stretched. He did like a, a, a groin-slash-hip stretch, and I thought, oh, shit. And that was closer to the end of the game. And then I was worried, did did we ever get an official reason? Was it an injury? Was it a tactical change that Paxton in particular was subbed out in the Minnesota game? Um, I mean, no one asked. He, you know, he it was his first start in, in over a year. It was not a great half of football from him. He was among the three worst, most, least efficient passes on the field. So I think everyone just took it as, okay, yeah, that's kind of deserved. Hmm. So we didn't hear anything about him, his health situation? No. No, no just else. that he was fine. Yeah, he was fine. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason okay. he didn't start the next game has got to be, I mean, even I, when I was trying to figure out a thing, no way he starts. You're not going to start the guy three games in a week after coming through what he's come through. There's no way he he's going to well, he didn't play. He played 45 minutes the the, the week. I know. It doesn't matter. I'm not starting Paxson three games in a week after mm-hmm. coming off what he's come off. It doesn't matter how much you play it. It's like, you know, I thought there's no way in hell he'd play it. He's starting in L.A. All right. Well, I want to I want to run off of – I want to uh, vibe off of Dan's comment about uh, a pretty poor first half of soccer from Paxton because if there's one player who I cannot figure out why continues to get time – on this team because I'm pretty sure he is now a solid bust. Donkey is Jadir O'Brien because that guy, yes, Donkey Touch Express, and he is so in his own head, and he is a giant bag of zilch as far as I'm concerned, and they got to get that guy off the field because he's not helping anything. Yeah, the last two games have been poor. Uh, He is, however, Dallas' leading scorer, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> tallest kindergarten yeah i know i know but you know and paxton's their leading assist guy paxton and ryan have two and peppy and O'Brien O'Brien have two goals each i'm just the saying problem is you had one shot on target yesterday or against la uh you know your center back playing a, a deep cross to your left back but the only times they threatened going forward into the final third were balls over the top two of O'Brien. i mean that's that's 
that's why you keep him on the field because there can be those moments. It's just either he has to not get his knee off on the ball, or you know, not <laughs> yeah. not do something boneheaded and yeah. Uh, but and I mean, the ball but back. Dan, he he singularly was the reason why I don't know six seven decent opportunities to build up and keep possession completely unforced turnovers in the middle of the field that turned into counterattacks. Now, oh. if L.A. had been any good or if Jimmy hadn't been standing on his head, that game, just based on mm. just based on Obreon turnovers alone, should have been 5 nothing. I don't disagree. It's just it's, it's those moments. There's no one else on that team right now except yeah. for uh, Che when he forced that corner uh, off the... Actually, was it Obreon that overhit that pass to uh, Pepe? So, but um, you've got no one so, else in the team that's going to force that pressure. Yeah, if you, so if you just, think about Peter, if you think about it tactically, if you're going to sit in a low block five, then you don't, your best chance is to counter over the top. And so Pepe and Obreon, that those are the two guys that can counter over the top. Especially when your breakaway for the last five years has been Barrios, Castillo, guys like that. Yeah. Guy, yeah. You know, you've got to have someone with with that pace to I get mean, to the end. Har can't do it, right? So <laughs> it, that, that's basically, ta- I'm not saying that it's good. I'm just saying you right. can always see, if you think through it, you can see what Lucci meant. I'm not saying it's the correct decision. I would have not played that way. But he, once, really is a, he really is turning out to be a poor man's Barrios. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'd actually yeah. say uh, not even a poor man's Barrios, a poor man's, um, oh, what's oh, the fella called? No, no, not Cassidy. Jetterson? Oh Jesus! No, Jetterson. no. Um... <laughs> Jetterson. Oh my gosh! Oh, the guy's his n- nickname was Manga. He was the one that was on loan from Dynamo Kiev for a oh, season. Wow, Colombian guy. I don't remember that for, dude at all. For Dallas, Jeez yeah. Louise. Man, okay, not Ricardinho, just... was he? No, no, no. This was like two thousand and. 14 or 15. Oh, wow. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I mean, here, here's the thing. Here's oh, how uh, ridiculous this... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah, mean, that's how ridiculous yeah. this club has gotten. Yeah. Is that there is an endless pile of bodies of just total foreign washouts. Uh, well, look, Peter. Number... That's why I said it's not Alucci's fault. I mean, look at... Yeah, well, that's gotta... kind of where I'm going. Yeah. That's where I'm going with this because Matt Doyle... Uh, on the heels of last night's uh, loss, tweeted out a, a question to the universe that said, "Which was the which was essentially I'm paraphrasing, which was the last uh, successful inbound signing Dallas had made?" And he he asked if it was Ricar- uh, um, Rito Ziegler, and I think that's probably correct. It depends on whether you consider Acosta uh, decent signing or not, Brian Acosta, yeah. Argo Santos. Yeah, Chaco Santos is pretty solid. But listen, look, look. this is why I say it's not on Lucci's fault. Number one, the Hunts. You got to give them some blame because right now they have some. they have two DPs out of three. So they're missing a DP, and one of them is trash. And that's on the Hunts, okay? So then you go to Zanata, and you have to look at the players that they've brought in. They've sold players, and the pieces they brought in to replace them so far have not been good enough. Right now, listen. I I think Martinez is a good defender, Peter. You might agree with me, but I think Martinez for Ziegler to me is fine. It's the problem is the rest of the defense around him is not great. They sold Thiago Santos and they replaced him with Faco, who right now 
is not quite as good as Thiago Santos. Maybe he'll play into it, but right now he's not as good, right? Obreon is not as good as Barrios, right? Vargas is pretty much the same as Mosquera. Not much better. Excuse me. Fafa Pico oh, looks great wash. for Houston right now. Yeah. So why, why was he not any good here last year? Right? They sold their six that was pretty good the week before the season. Now, I like Ricarte, but if you don't know how to use Ricarte, I'm not sure that it's going to help you because they don't, right now, they keep using him one game correctly, one game incorrectly. Right? You know what Ricarte feels like to me? He feels like the the modern version of Daniel Pineda. Yeah. Where they think they bought they think they bought an attacking midfielder only to find out they bought a deep lying playmaker. Yeah, exactly. And they right. don't know how to use him. Right. And that's on that's on Zanata to a certain extent, right? The play the kids guys that you were so excited about have either are either stagnating or not playing. That's not necessarily on Lucci. That that happens because you bring in a twenty eight year old veteran and pay him a bunch of money. What am I supposed to do? Play some seventeen year old kid? Sean doesn't look that great, right? The draft picks have been mediocre lately. You know, you sold Brian Reynolds for bags of money. I don't blame you for that. But right now, Eddie Manjomo is not anywhere close to being a, re- a good replacement. How much are they spending on Philippe? I don't I don't know. I mean, he looks pretty good, but they got Jimmy Maurer. I don't know. Whatever they're spending on Philippe is, is a waste of money. That guy's not playing. You know, the it, it's not all on Lucci. This team as a roster collectively fundamentally is significantly worse than it was three years ago. And that's not yeah, Lucci's but, fault. Okay. But let me push back. Are you telling me that if Oscar Perea was the coach of this exact same team or arena or Bob Bradley or any number of other MLS coaches that they would be in last place, they would be the same team? No, no, no. I'm, listen, I'm not defending Lucci. I'm not saying that Lucci hasn't screwed up a bunch. He has. This team's in last place. He owns that as well. I'm just saying it's not just on him. You're right. If they had Bruce Arena or if they had Oscar, they'd be close to mid-table probably where we thought they would be. But right. that's different than saying it's not. that's why I say it's not all on him. Mid-table, like fighting for seventh or fighting for tenth, whatever, that's not going to get you anything either. And that's that's on Zanata and the Hunts. That's not on Lucci. The fact they're in last is on Lucci. The fact they're not in first is on everybody else. Uh, Dan, since I'm not, since you actually uh, were part of the post game press conference last night, uh, you, you had an interesting kind of perspective on Lucci's mood, and why don't you, if you could just share kind of your observations from that, I think would be would be interesting. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we all know Lucci is the enthusiastic guy, talks an awful lot and, you know, very upbeat and gesturing. Uh, Last night he was slumped in a chair, looking absolutely miserable. Uh, He kind of wasn't, even his speech pattern was different. Uh, You know, the, the press conferences typically start 15 minutes after the end of the game. This one went... I mean, this one was at least 35 minutes. Someone was getting chewed out, and he looked like life had just chewed him out. Um, Do you think he was getting chewed out? He was burned out on chewing his players out, or his players were chewing him out? What do, what do you – anybody have a guess as to – or is that just is this just the after effect of just this entire season weighing on the poor guy? I mean, yeah, you, you, could, you could honestly guess any of those just – I mean, and this is just from body language and, and speech and stuff, but, it, you know, it, when when we ask Lucci questions, it's always, 
you know, he'll he'll be he'll be blunt about something, he'll be critical, but he'll surround it in praise and and positivity, platitudes, all, all that, you know, whatever else and the other philosophical stuff he comes out with. And last night he didn't even really dive into all that. It was just kind of honest about you know not having players in the middle and trying to match their defense uh their defensive shifts and it it wasn't it, it was really short for uh for a Lucci uh presser. Hmm. Uh, yeah, kinda looked I don't know. If it was a home game, I wouldn't have been. I'd have been like, I don't know if uh, Clark and Dan didn't walk in the locker room and absolutely ream him, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If I, I I have zero feeling that that happens. I'm not a hundred percent sure that level I of concern. Definitely I, remember I, they did that with uh, Shellis a few times. Well, and then Shellis chopped him into little pieces. With his hands. Um, all right. Well, let's take a look at this schedule that Buzz was. Oh my lord! Yeah, talking about because Sunday uh, they do play. They don't play Saturday. They play Sunday night back in Frisco. It's amazing to me they've only played four road games uh, at yeah. this point. Um, and so, of course, that means the best team on the Eastern Conference uh, is in town. The aforementioned Bruce Arena and the New England Revolution who uh, did a number last night on somebody else. And then maybe, and so, Buzz, I kind of wanted to run through this with you because yeah. then it's another week. It's the July 4th game, which is a Sunday night game. Yep. That's against uh, their cellar-dwelling partners, Vancouver. Yeah. That's is that the win? That's is the, that the one win? win. That's the one win. Is that yeah. the one win? And yeah. from there, uh, Buzz is suggesting, and I'll let you guys shout out win, loss, yeah. or draw. Each of you do it as soon as I say the game. On okay. the road against the Galaxy. Loss. Easy this loss. includes you, Dan. Uh, on the road at Portland. Loss. Loss. At the road in Denver. Loss. Loss. Home I'm actually pulling to... up PPG while we're doing this. <laughs> uh, let's see. Home to the Galaxy. Tie. Uh, I have a tie, yeah. No, okay. I have a loss. Sorry. Loss. A loss. Okay. Uh, and then the last of the July <laughs> gauntlet, this will be the sixth game in July, is at Children's Mercy Park in Kansas City. Loss. Uh, no mercy. No mercy, okay. Uh, August starts off in the worst possible way, their personal hellhole at Seattle. Yeah, loss to the team that has not lost a single game. Yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, and then everybody's favorite new neighbor, Austin, is in town. Rival game. I'll go tie. Uh, I'll take a win on that. Maybe the, oh. the fans will kind of boost them. Okay. Um, and maybe, uh, hopefully Austin hasn't bought a striker by then. Uh, then they have Kansas City in town on the 14th of August. Loss. Seattle then comes to town at the end of a three-game homestand. Loss. Massacre. Oy. And then they have to go to Houston. Loss. Loss. And then I will be in attendance with my co-host of the kick around Andy in some plush seats at Q2 Stadium in Austin. Loss. Loss. Uh, let's see. Do you want to keep going? Sure. Okay. September the 4th in Salt Lake. Loss. Loss. Oh, no. 
<laughs> it's it's National Day of September 11th, uh, host to the earthquakes. Tie. Tie, yeah, but could be winnable. That San Jose's a mess, mess too, but yeah, I'm there, tie. there are any, uh, what are they on the road? They are... Sorry, that, that's a winnable game, but I don't think they do it. I think it, because by then you're like you're you're cratering, right? Okay, you know? yeah. So yeah, oh yeah, yeah. okay. And then uh, a Tuesday night game up in the Big Apple at Yankee Stadium. At least it currently is it at Yankee Stadium. Lost the ties. Mm, okay. Uh, New York City have one points per game at home currently. And then uh, we'll just end it here on Saturday the 18th uh, back down in Houston. Lost. Lost. So if I'm hearing this correctly, Dan is actually the optimistic one with two two wins and one draw. Buzz, I think you have one win and maybe two draws out of that stretch yeah. uh, through uh, up until fall starts. Well, when I did the calculation, I gave them a tie on Vancouver on that last away game. But basically, I you know I had them at like I think it's uh, two nine and something uh, two wins nine losses by that point. So the I. The only other win I had them down for is uh, LAFC if they don't get their shit together at home. Hmm. Well, that's the thing. It's like after that, you get, you finish the season with six of eight at home. And the front part of the season, you just mentioned, they've only played four road games. So that's the problem, Peter, if we want to put it in a nutshell. Is they had a whole bunch of home games at the front, which they've blown. Which, they blew them. And oh, so yeah. now it's oh, a, without question. Yeah. So now it's like 12 of 19 on the road, which they never, ever win. And their home games are against really, really good teams. So you're going to get to that final stretch of six of eight at home and it won't matter. You'll be two and whatever. And no one you're done. So then we the other, came into the okay. season. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, there's a good, uh, you know, there's a decent run at home to start. It's there's a decent run at home against crappy teams. Yeah. Hmm. Good point. And uh, the summer months are never kind to this club, even yeah. in their best best seasons. Uh, August, July are always brutal months uh, for this team, but just for a whole host of reasons. Um, and so, yeah, it does it does not bode well. I, you know, we've asked this question on the pod uh, in previous weeks. I'm just going to retake your temperatures uh, individually. Dan, I'll go with you first. Uh, do you think Lucci survives this season? Yes or no? Um, I think it might be a jump before you push. Buzz? I'm going to say, now I'm going to say no. It, originally, like we've talked about this a lot. I talked about how he was like the ultimate hunt guy, right? The Preha and Hyman combo. You know, this was their dude. But we, that gave him a lot of stability and a lot of leeway. But if you put up a South Lake level debacle, like one of the worst seasons in the history of the club, potentially the worst season in the history of the club, you're not surviving that. It doesn't matter. that Now, listen, the Hunts screwed him by hiring him a decade too early. So I feel really bad for Lucci. He's in over his head. I like Lucci. I like his ideas. He was not ready for this job. Even if he saves this season and manages to turn this thing around, there's no way anyone will ever convince me that he was ready for this job. He was not. And this season he's paying for it. Yeah, I continue to, and I think we've talked about this because um, I, I get the, the show and the podcast confused. I, I'm still very uh, interested in the influence of Zanata and where Zanata's support of Lucci is in this and Zanata just quietly conniving in the background that maybe he thinks he's got somebody else that can do this job better, which may be an accelerant 
Tolucci losing his job faster than I think he would have if it had been, you know, Muzi or somebody or or somebody else in that role. Yeah, it'll depend. It'll depend on how much of the Hunt's ear he has. Um, and so far, I don't know that his signings have really blown us out of the water enough to think that he's got super juice. But um, you know, he definitely was after Lucci, and he Lucci was not his guy. So I'm sure there's a point at which. He'll say, you got to let me have my guy. They'll know how to use these players I'm giving you. And that's going to be the end of it for Lucci. Yeah, you know, I think I, I think I put this in the Discord, which, by the way, if you are not a member of Buzz's Patreon and getting access to the Discord uh, chat rooms, you're missing out. There's a fantastic conversation constantly going on in those different rooms. That was a um, lot of fun and, last night, too. Yeah, during the games, not during the games, during watching the Copa or the Euros, or just people asking questions. It's a really cool little community of people that Buzz is growing in there, and it's totally worth how much does it cost to become a member of the Discord, Buzz? Five dollars. Yeah, five bucks. Uh, it's It's totally worth it. Um, I, although I say that as somebody who doesn't pay to join Discord, yeah. Um, well, it's a perk. Uh, it's intended to be a perk who su- for people who support us above the minimum. You yeah, know, we it's... we love people that do the minimum because you get the third degree burns. That's great content too. But this is supposed to be special for people that come an, an extra level for us. And yeah, that's what's for. I just want to I want to put this here because I really do feel like uh, I feel like a lot of this is, has been foretold and was obvious a while ago because you just have to remember that this is a major league soccer team whose reins were handed to the infamously black sheep of the Hunt family to run who then hired a guy with zero professional coaching experience and then hired a technical director who essentially his first words out of his mouth to the public was, hey, I'm glad to be here, but I don't know much about this league or its players. It was never a recipe for success, right? I'm pretty sure his second words were also, I'm here to find destinations for players. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't, yeah. And you got a coach who continuously calls this a, a selling club. Development club, uh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. a development club. Uh, look, it 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 is... And and it starts at the top. I, yeah. I I don't call the I didn't give this team the nickname of the Huntsman uh, lightly. I meant it. Everything that you see it, that is represented on and off the field, which we're going to get to here in a second, is one hundred percent a byproduct of Dan and Clark Hunt. Period. The end. Yeah. This we've been talking about this for twenty years now since the Hunt took over this. I think it's about right when they took over this team. You know, the, the idea for them, they called this their legacy of their father. They got rid of the other teams and they kept this one. The, the key to them is survival long-term. That means revenue, yep. right? They found the first revenue stream was the academy youth clubs. That all funnels money in. Then they found a second revenue stream, which is we can sell players. So those are the two things they're trying to maximize. The ability to have a large youth setup, not just academy, the whole youth setup, and then sell the academy players. And I actually did a burn the other day on the idea that I think they'll have changed their opinion in a sense that they're, because they're able to sell these youth players now without even using FC Dallas. They're selling them based on North Texas time. They're selling them based on these loans to Bayern Munich and whatever else, right? So they're almost going to realize that, man, we don't even need to, to play the very best ones we're going to sell with FC Dallas. We'll get, sell them sooner than that. And I'm, they're probably going to overreact on the next coach and swing away from this idea of play the kids even more and swing away to the idea of, oh, now we can just take the first team and try like a full let level pro coach and maybe neglect the kids that they're not selling your Paxton's and Jesus's God forbid. I hope they don't do this, but 
you know how the hunts always go too far back the other direction when they swing. So um, this the structure of this club and the way it is has been building for 20 years to get to this point. It is what it is. All right. Uh, before we move on to uh, my observations as a, a fan in attendance of a game, I, I do want to go back and just talk quickly about Sunday night against New England with the best team in the East uh, coming to town. Uh, Buzz, do you have any sense as to what we should expect in terms of lineups, starting players, etc.? Well, when they have these games um, midweek, it, it really ruins any chance to practice in the sense of you can't implement a new idea, work on it for two days, and then implement it on the game because it's basically come home, recover, play, right? So there's no time to do something uh to, to, to develop a new concept. You have to go with the concept you already have. Now, mm-hmm. what I would hope they would do would look back at that, what Lucci called a four, one, four, one that worked the best of the season. L- look back at that model and try and use that model against the revs. That's what I would hope would happen. But you know, that honestly, like what, what Lucci will do. I, I really have no idea. Uh, you know, I, they probably saw enough with Justin Shea, that they'll go four in the back and leave Justin Shea at right back and, and Ryan at left. As amazing that is, as that is, Brisson's back, Martinez is back, Hedges is not available. Did so Joma die in a car accident or something we're not aware of? Well, you know, once he's not starting, you, then you have to build your bench for possibilities of like what I need. And like Joma doesn't get you anything off the bench that you, I mean, like that you can't get from Ryan or Nelson. So, you know, there's no reason once... Other than man management, uh, that you just destroyed Ninjama by benching him and then not even putting him in the 18. Other than that, wrecking the guy. Right. Uh, there's no reason to have him in the 18 other than that. I mean, he should have had him in the 18 because I'm sure Ninjama's now wrecked for a long period of time. But anyway, that's your back four in my mind. Uh, Faco, obviously. Acosta, obviously. I hope it's going to be Ricarte in that double eight look. And then I would p- take, because now who says this? Excuse me, Jesus played 90. So I would put Jesus at nine uh, and let Paxton and Pepe, because I thought Pepe looked pretty good as a wing the other day. I, that's what I would do. No, I don't think Luch will do that. I think he'll stick with Obreon. I think he'll, there's a good chance he'll bring back Frank O'Hara. Mm-hmm. And there's a good chance Jesus will be in the midfield instead. Uh, I don't know what will happen. Probably Paxton will be the other wing. So. Um, I'm not optimistic, and I'll have to think about it more over the next couple of days. But um, what I would do and what Lucci will do will be is very different. <laughs> so good luck against the best team in the East. Well, it will uh, be interesting to see how that plays out. And because it's Major League Soccer, who knows? They'll end Dallas may end up blowing them out yeah, for nothing or yeah. something just because it yeah. is the, the weirdest league in the entire world. Um, Jesus and, Hattrick. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> you, you never know. <laughs> Um, so Sorry, I wanted did you to say Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jesus. Jesus. Right, exactly. I did want to spend a little bit of time talking about my experience attending the game as a fan, which I did. Uh, yeah, I bought tickets and I sat in a good section. I took a friend of mine who uh, has really grown into becoming a supporter of the game, and I had forgotten the game started at seven thirty. So we arrived uh, at. Uh, thinking the game started at 7, we arrived at about 6.15 to walk up to the West Gates and see this insane line of people standing in the broiling sun. 
Um, and it it was almost. And then I realized, oh wait, we've got more. We've got like ninety minutes before kickoff. Um, and the line was already back to where the uh, youth soccer building is. I don't forgot the title, the U.S. Soccer Youth, whatever that is. It's kind of, you know, 100 yards or so away from the West Gates. And uh, found out that, uh, and now, is this normal? They were only opening the gates an hour prior to kickoff, so they didn't open till 6.30. That isn't the normal course of things, correct? That's normally 90 minutes. 90 minutes. Okay. And just to reset the table for everybody, I attend these games as a media member, and I usually walk in 20 minutes, 30 minutes before game time through a different entrance and just zip in. I don't pay attention to any of this stuff. So much of this is new to me, which will be old hat to many of you, so I apologize. But I found that maddening, and there was only one set of gates, and by the time it opened, the amount of time it took to get through the metal detectors was insane. And I think I read that maybe some of the metal detectors went down and they were having to individually wand everybody. Uh, Bad game day experience, number one and two. The long lines, gates not open very early before the game, and then the time it took to get in through the gate. It's almost like somebody forgot to tell them they were going back to full capacity. Yes, and this is going to be a a continuing trend uh, as I get through this experience. So... Uh, as we're standing in line, I said to my friend, you know what? The Hall of Fame is here. We've got tons of time to kill. You should go see the Hall of Fame. And uh, by the way, I'm embarrassed to admit, I've yet to go to the Hall of Fame. And I live here. I, for whatever reason, haven't been in that joint yet. I'd love to see it. Oh, and Soccer 90, the soccer store is over there. I haven't actually been inside of it yet. I want to see it. So I, we wanted to go to the Hall of Fame first. And I asked, where is the entrance to the Hall of Fame? And the, and the guy says, it's right there, but it is closed on game days. Now, this has been a confusing back and forth because I have, I have been told by several people that it closed during the pandemic and they haven't been reopening it during the pandemic and that it will actually be open Sunday, but I'll get to that in a second. But it has in the past been open on game days, Um, but it's still this very confusing mix. So I looked on the website the other day only to find out that, in fact, it will be open Sunday, but it's open from 12 to 5.30. Kickoff is at 8 o'clock. Yeah, they they close it because they have to empty it out because they use part of it for the game day fan experience on the south end zone. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Like now, if I wanted to go and have a game a game day experience of going to the Hall of Fame and then attend a game, I've got to go up there like five hours early. Yeah. And then I got to hang out and do nothing for what? Because they close it at 530. Two and a half hours? I mean, you could go to go over across the street and have like four burgers. <laughs> <laughs> tailgate yeah, yeah. okay free <laughs> so again, again i am completely confused by this i don't know why yeah. on game days the cost of admission to the hall of fame doesn't somehow include your ticket to go to the game like if you want to go to the hall of fame on game days you got to buy a game ticket too that way it can remain open and be part of the game day experience especially for people like my friend who was in from out of town 
Now, again, I don't run a Hall of Fame. I'm not an events person. I'm sure there's lots of other parts of this that I don't understand that I'm ignorant to. And somebody's punching their dashboard or kicking their dog going, well, then you have no idea what you're talking about. It just seems ridiculous that they spent all this money and hyped up all of this thing about building the U.S. Soccer of Hall of Fame. And it's not open and convenient to go to on game days. That is ridiculous to Uh me. I think that's actually a spectacularly good idea that on game day, a Hall of Fame ticket is a end zone seat ticket. They're like, you go to the Hall of Fame and you just go to the stadium and watch the game. That, I mean, that to me, that's a no brainer. That's an amazing idea. I don't, I don't know why it's that in the way. Well, or even just, hey, I'm here to go to the game. I've got a game ticket. Can I pay an extra five bucks to walk in and see yeah, it? Yeah. Now, here's the crazy part. So I, I asked a lot of people this, and I had a longtime season ticket holder who had this exact same frustration tell me that he was told by an executive in the company that the reason why the Hall of Fame is not open on game days or during the game itself is tied to the cost of security they would be required due to insurance requirements based on how many people may or may not have to walk through the Hall of Fame because there's 20,000 people in the facility. Oh, man. Uh, Okay, yeah. Now that 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 kind of smells like the the reason we're told that they don't do they don't generally do eight p.m. kickoffs, <laughs> like it's a fable and it can't possibly be true, um, because it's such a nefariously awful reason for <laughs> for not providing a game day experience is because of a bottom line issue. Um, so I don't know if that's true or not. I hope it's not true, but they've got to come around and figure out a way to open the Hall of Fame in a convenient manner so that you can enjoy that entire experience. I mean, that's a, that's a believable reason to me, insurance. I totally can buy that reason, but this comes back to what we say a lot of time about the hunts, put on your big boy pants and get it done. You know, it's again, decent idea. Good idea. Hall of fame. Love it. Poor execution. Can't go to it on game day. Right. I I mean, come on. I will say like, you know, you go to a lot of clubs um, and certainly from my experience, Liverpool and Barcelona are two of them. The museum isn't open on a game day. However, those aren't clubs that need to provide an extra reason to get people into the stadium. Yeah, fair. See, that's that's a different experience. And I, I went to the museum at Old Trafford twice on game day in the hours before kickoff. I went to the Liverpool uh, exhibit, uh, whatever it was. I mean, I've been to multiple Premier League club. Uh, pro, not just the pro shop, but other things on game day. At least that. At least I think I have. Maybe I'm. Maybe you and I are talking about different things. I. Uh, but but your I, point is right, Dan. That, that that you can't equate the two. I for sure have been to a Colo Colo game, and their museum is open with all their trophies to the public on game day. We walked right through it. So and by the way, let, let me also say this: I was really crushed that I didn't get to go because once I got to look in the window and see what was going on. It was something I wanted to go in and and see for myself. It looked really cool, and I was really crushed that we didn't get to see it. So, I don't. That was the, the so, thing is, there's not really a perfect thing. Like if you know, if they closed off the club side to avoid the people walking through, well, that's your World Cup trophies, that's your Gold Cups, that's the uh, the Duar Trophy, the original U.S. Open Cup. That's really all the stuff that people should want to see. Um, so it's like you know then then are you really paying like uh, the cost of admission for half of a museum and 
I mean, at the same time, you know, I'm sure a large part of it is it's easier to keep it closed than make tough decisions. Well, I, okay, <laughs> so that's that's bad fan experience number three. Number four came when, after the game, we were sitting on the west side in section 106. My friend and I decided, instead of leaving, we wanted to go have dinner, uh, grab a late bite at Jake's across the street, because I really wanted a number nine with fries. Their ham and cheese is awesome at Jake's. And um, so we walked out, and we began to follow the concourse back towards Soccer 90, which, by the way, I had stepped in before. I had never been in Soccer 90. Was delighted. What a delightful store that is. It's got a little bit of everything. They've got jerseys and stuff from all over the world. It is exactly the kind of soccer shop that Dallas needed. And I, uh, I luckily, I did not buy anything because I could have spent a lot of money in that place. But... As we were walking back, attempting to exit the south gates to go across Main Street to go eat at Jake's, we got there and noticed people walking away only to find out that the south gates were padlocked closed. Yeah, I can't explain that one. So it dawned on me, oh, you know what? They're doing Uh, the smart Vegas or uh, amusement park thing. They're going to funnel us through Soccer 90. Right. Because that's what happens. You go to an amusement park ride or you go to Vegas and you go see a show and you leave the auditorium. What do they do? They funnel you through the pro shop so that you buy some crap. So I walked into Soccer 90 and the guy said to me before I could even ask him, there is no exit from here. You're happy that you're welcome to shop, but you can't exit out onto Main Street from here. And I said, well, then where are we supposed to go? And he said, you're supposed to go out the West Gates. All right. There's an explanation for this. Yeah. So the uh, the locker rooms uh, exit out onto onto that uh, little path road thing outside. So you would have had the two coaches for the away team, and then people seeking autographs from you know whoever. So you know, I, I know in, in the past that they would uh, close one of the north gates off cl- uh, closer to the old locker rooms to sort of prevent something like that and allow like the egress of the of the players and the uh, of and the team bus so i think it's it's probably to do with traffic that can't control there possibly maybe i would traffic control i would somewhat believe but i begin to wonder if it's a manpower issue which again we'll get back to another thing that i wanted to bring up which I, Buzz, you said it. It was almost as if somebody forgot to tell them they were going back to full capacity because yeah. the because the entire evening experience. Because I haven't even talked about the incredibly long lines at concession uh, concession stands, the 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 impossibly small number of people working the event. I, I was there was a part of me that was convinced that the hunts overall in terms of facilities management were dealing with the issue everybody else is. This they don't have enough employees. Or the whole thing smelled like cost containment because the other thing I noticed was that when we went back to the west side, they only had one gate open. So if you know on that west side in front of the club, there's a series of gates. There's like four or six series of gates. Only one gate was open and everybody was having to funnel out that one gate and there was an attendant on either side of the gate. And I began to wonder if there's a regulation that says you have to have an attendant at every gate so they only open one gate on the east and west side because they didn't they didn't want to have to have an attendant at every gate. I mean, I don't know the answer to that question, but I can believe it. Again, I'm speculating based on what I witnessed. It, It was... 
If you're letting people go out on the west side, why not open all the gates instead of making everybody funnel out of one gate? I, the only thing I can think of is to try and uh, not have everybody go out at the same time, or maybe they're looking to make sure you're not stealing something, or you know, certainly having attendance at gates is not would it, I can buy that. I, I don't know. You know, as far as I know, you know, through the pandemic, this team was hemorrhaging money. This is what everybody around the team tells me. So it's not going to be a surprise to me that the answer is they're just trying to do as cheap as possible. Maybe they weren't expecting as much of a crowd as they got. I think they're probably going to hit less people at the next one. So, you know. Well, you know, I was, I w- you know, I heard that they announced 16,000. I would have sworn it was closer to 18. 18- Eighteen oh, five. Oh, I, I thought it was a. It was one of the better attended games I'd been to in a long time there. I uh, I think I turned to John Arnold. I was like, I think this may be the first time they've ever been honest about an attendance. It's one of those ones that in other years they would announce at least twenty thousand for that crowd. Yeah, it was crazy. So I was uh, all of that really blew me away. I took and posted a series of photos that uh, reinforced my. Uh, ingenious strategy of returning to the 8 p.m. starts because exa- by 8.15, even on, because, you know, in terms of where we are in the calendar, this is peak sunlight, right? In fact, yeah. the, the we eclipsed that the day after the game. Um, by 8.15, the entire East Stands was in the shade. Not just the field, the entire East Stands was now in the shade by 8.15. Just do 8 p.m. starts, okay? Yeah, yeah. It's, it it's, solves all of your problems. You don't have to build any more structures. You don't have to put up sunshades. You don't have to build a roof. You don't have to rebuild your light stanchions. You solve your baking people in the sun problem at 7 o'clock. Yeah. Other thing that I got to point out. Ooh, wonderful crowd go ahead one no no i'm this is my yeah. fame this is my game day experience and yeah. my friend who by the way just graduated from college with a degree in sports management he was the one that pointed this out to me although i had, he pointed it out too but i it was already driving me nuts uh moving the supporters groups to the southwest corner was an it has been an interesting move and I think it feels like they're a little more organized and you do actually hear them a bit more. But the empty stage on the north end of the stadium is like a giant pimple on the forehead of your favorite supermodel. Like, well, okay, maybe not. Just hot chick, whatever. Um, it, it stands out like a sore thumb. And it is so weird that of this entire full place, there is this vacant construction area with two cars sitting on it just doing absolutely nothing. It, it is so barren and so weird to see that empty stage buzz. I know you haven't had a chance to uh, witness it in person yet. It, it, it just really changes the vibe of the entire stadium. Um, and as much as I think the, the supporters groups are enjoying sitting where they are because they're closer to the, you know where the players come in and out and they're kind of getting more engaged with the fans on either side of them, the empty stage is just, uh, it's, it's weird. Um, and again, this is all just my experiences as a fan for the first time in a long time, just kind of going as a, a, as a fan. Um, and and it was a, it was a really, really odd experience. And I do now understand from that perspective, why the game day experience is just so poor overall. Like why would, you know, it's just, it's not good guys. Well, game day experience has never been great. So it's not surprising. It's still not great. Um, I don't, I don't know that they know what to do with that North end. 
Honestly, I mean, there was some discussion they were going to do something with it, but they never have. So I don't, you know. But COVID's over. Why not reopen it? Well, I I, I remember there being some discussion that um, they they wanted to get the fans off the stage anyway. You know, yeah. that this was kind of an excuse to move them. So I, I don't, I think that this is what they wanted was to have the stage be empty. Now, I'm not sure why. You know, and I, I'm not privy to any reasons why what they think they're going to do with it. You know, but this is what they wanted, as far as right. I know. Uh, the, look, if you're a pessimist or you're, you know, uh, if you're um, a conspiracy theorist, it feels like, well, now we don't have to employ the security people for the beer garden. I think that's 100 percent what it is. Yeah, that was the it, discussion when they first even said, "Hey, you know, we want to we want to move the supporters groups." Again, the move of the groups to the southwest corner has been a good overall, but the beer garden was without question the most charming aspect or the only charming aspect uh, about uh, about going to a Dallas game. And now it's gone. It's so weird. So very weird. Sorry, I'm prattling on about it, but I had a lot of thoughts about it. Yeah, I don't I don't know what to say. I mean, I agree with you. I don't know what to say beyond that. I mean, it's not I haven't even seen it more than really early this year. So I haven't seen it lately. So, you know, it's bad. I grant you that. But it's a pen. It's essentially two Toyota trucks and a bunch of tarping over the old stands that they've pushed towards the back of the stage that say, thank you fans on it or something like that. Well, that that. sounds terrible. And then there were the overgrown Ivy in the back to hide the cables. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, it's, it's it. The whole thing was, uh, very odd. So, um, all right. I guess I, sorry if everybody's if probably a whole bunch of people have tuned out or stopped listening by now. Cause I've been prattling they're, on. About honestly, that they're more than likely minutes. saying, yeah, this is what we go through. Well, it was, uh, it was interesting and juxtaposed with all of the insanity and the great scenes that we saw in Austin. Um, all right. Anything else we, uh, we've, man, we've gone on way too long It Buzz, you should just yeah. edit that whole thing out. Just take the whole thing about me reviewing the game day experience out. That was a waste of everybody's time. Um, Anything else? Well, there was some stuff, but we're already at an hour and a half. Oh, who cares? Everybody, people love us. Okay. We're podcast of the year. Yeah. The other stuff is that the MLS Next playoffs are here in town. Um, I finally found the schedule, so I'm going to post when the FC Dallas teams are playing, if anyone's interested in that. Um, the new reserve league has been announced. Uh, the, the only thing I want to say about it right now, cause we don't know a lot is that they're talking about independent teams coming in, which sounds like they're going to open it up like USL one is. And if that's the case, then I expect North Texas to move to that conference. Like if, if this new league had been some sort of U 23 league, I think North Texas would have stayed in USL one, but when, since it's going to be open, I'm expecting them to move. So when Basically. you say open, so you, are you thinking a the Greenvilles and yeah. Tormentas will move in, not like oh. Dallas Texans and Solar trying to start semi-professional teams? Oh, I, who knows? I mean, it could be both all those things. I mean, it's going to be Division Three, which means you have to have a stadium of like between a uh-huh. thousand to five thousand people. So you have to have some sort of facility. But yeah, those kinds of teams, like Greenville, might come in. I mean, I don't know. Every team's different. It depends on whether you'd like MLS or not as an organization, yeah. you know. But for the purposes of FC Dallas and, and North Texas, they like their kids to play against grown men who are fighting to put food on the table. They want Justin Shea to get punched in the face. 
So if that's the way this league's going to be with these independent teams, and maybe some of the MLS teams will have more like reserves than than it is like a youth team like Dallas North Texas is. Well, that's what they want. So that being the case, it looks like I'm expecting North Texas now to move to that team. So that's all I really have to say about it at this point. I didn't think Jay played that badly last night <laughs> to get punched in the face by the opposition. No, yeah, he played oh, pretty good. Yeah, okay. that's, the idea is they want they want their 16 to 20 year old kids have to have to fight against dudes that are in the prime of their career in 30. You know, that's the key. Right. So, uh, and then uh, it's been interesting to see a bunch of the European guys back in town during break. I saw Reggie. Cannon posting some stuff, trying to mend some fences on Instagram this week. Uh, I saw that they had a press conference with Weston that they scheduled <laughs> way too. Uh, they didn't give a lot of people a lot of heads up on. I just saw a photo of him standing posing in a in a number 14 jersey, um, which I thought was kind of, I don't know, that created all sorts of weird feels, by the way. <laughs> I yeah. didn't know how to react to that. <laughs> He's holding it up. I, I wish he was a signing, but, you know, whatever. Well, I also wondered what the current number 14, Nikosi Tafari, must be thinking yeah. about that. Uh, yeah. That was interesting, too. Well, the, the important thing among all that stuff is that these are guys that, from one reason or another, are not super happy with FC Dallas. To see them back you know, here and doing things, oh, great, good. Mend some of those yeah. fences. Now do the same thing with some of your veterans. Like they reached out yeah. to Jason Christ this year finally, right? Awesome. Keep doing it. I saw uh, somewhere posted on one of the social medias, Weston showed up uh, for a, a pickup game at the pit in Frisco with a bunch of kids. And I thought, oh, my gosh, could you imagine? Could you yeah. imagine being a 12-year-old kid and Weston McKenney shows up to kick around with you at this? Oh, so, goodness. That's awesome. That would have been amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, don't forget, everybody, that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, which is awesome, by the way, I can tell you, because I was actually in the store just a mere days ago. Don't forget to shop at Soccer90.com for all your FC Dallas, U.S. national team, EPL stuff, other European teams, international club gear. They got a little bit of everything. Tons of keychains, by the way. All new jerseys, tees, and more continue to arrive the rest of this month. And because you are a dear and beloved Third Degree listener, we're going to give you 25% off your order when you use the code Third Degree at checkout at Soccer90.com. Well, Dan, I apologize uh, for boring you to death with all of my hot sports opinions. I enjoyed your uh, your fan experience. It was uh, it was enlightening. I think it's uh, definitely a great point. <laughs> I have a feeling everybody points. listening to the pod is like, yeah, no shit, Peter. We've been dealing with that exact same <laughs> thing for the last however many years. You're only now figuring this out? Why are you burning us up? <laughs> Just telling us what we already knew, you knucklehead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of course... <laughs> Your hero, my hero. Buzz, thank you so much, man. Glad your uh, trip is over. Welcome back to uh, the real Thanks. world, my yeah. friend. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. It's nice to be back. Hopefully I can go to practice soon. That'll be good. Uh, and also, it's been a couple of weeks since we've thanked Pappy Check for the music. Yes, and definitely. Thank you. Oh, by the way, somebody in the Discord asked this. What Pappy Check is saying is third-degree net podcast. Yeah. They didn't know for sure, but you know how it's just third. Just next next time when Buzz is playing this music out, he, Pappy is saying third degree net podcast over and over, soaking it in your head like an earworm. It is an earworm. All right, thank you, Buzz and Dan, and thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. By the way, the person who posted the photo of them in their FC Dallas Curious shirt in front of the Austin Stadium, God bless you, sir. And we'll speak to you next week in another edition of Third Degree the Podcast. 
Mighty Americana shirt. 25% off. Chivas. Bacon. Third degree. The third degree nail podcast. Third degree. The third degree nail podcast.